Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. All right. Hey, everyone. This is Rich Sorbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for the last week in mortgage today, our weekly whirlwind through all things happening in the ever-changing mortgage industry. Uh, back once again to co-host with me is the CEO of Eustace Mortgage, Kate Decay. Kate, We're thanks for joining you. me again. No problem. Awesome. Kate, the first to get the the repeat invite for the co-host <laughs> slot. So <laughs> must mean you, you did great last time. So <laughs> that's what we'll, that's what we're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. So well, thanks again, Kate, for uh stepping up and answering the bell. And uh so let's go ahead and get started. Uh I wanna get started with today's episode uh, talking about maybe not some new news, the Fannie Freddie 50 basis point refinance fee, um, which was delayed to December one fundings and beyond. But what I wanted to pick your brain on, I'm starting to hear just some talk back and forth uh, between our members and is the timing on, I guess, when you will re-implement that into your rate sheet. So I'll just start with that question. Yeah, so we're actually looking at probably close to September 15th. Um, we've been kind of monitoring where investors are going to fall on loan delivery dates and purchase dates. So far, it's kind of been November 9th, delivery purchased by November 20th. Um, you know, refi is turning about 40 days at the moment. So that puts us right here at kind of the, the crunch time to start putting it back in pricing here in the next two weeks. So I... Initially, I had thought, you know, October 1st, um, when we started kind of paying more attention at the end of last week, it seems like we're we're approaching it here mid-September. Yeah, I kind of figured October 1-ish time frame, but then with how busy it is, number one, if you deliver to the aggregators, you got some extra lag time there. Yeah, they're um, taking longer, we're taking longer, he's <laughs> taking longer, so you just don't, that October 1st uh, snuck up on us for sure. You had to move it up a little bit closer. And for all our attendees, would love if you could pop in the chat or uh, when you guys are thinking about re-implementing that fee into your rate sheets. Just curious. Um, and uh, yeah, and the other factor too that uh, I was talking to a member about this morning is just, I guess, expected more re- refi volume, you know, like people that, you know, a lot of lenders are going to be marketing, right? Hey, get your refinance in now before, uh, you know, rates go up because of this fee. So that's probably going to lead to more volume in theory, longer third time. So I think it's all about capacity right now for everybody. I mean, loan officers can only get to so many people in a day. So whereas we didn't really use it as a marketing tool, we didn't really talk about it when it hit. We didn't really talk about it when it went away since we knew it was kind of very short term, short term problem, meaning it was going to come right back. So we're not going to sit there and push out, come refinance now. Uh, refinancing for the most part for folks is still going to make a ton of sense. So we would not really use it as a marketing tool. Now, on the flip side, I know our loan officers are going to get, you know, anybody that may have been on the fence, kind of not quite ready to lock, they'll definitely get all their locks in. Uh, whether or not it has this big boom right before things turn, I'm not so sure that we're going to see that. I think I think refinances are here for a little bit longer, um, and we'll still see them once the 50-bit fee comes into play again. Um. 
uh, purchase volume, um, any let up uh, at your shop? No, we're, I mean, New purchase apps. No, we're still, so we've been kind of about 55, we've been about 60, 40, 55, 45 um, purchase to refi. So we're still heavy, heavy purchase. I mean, we never really let up on the purchase front uh, much, though. I don't know if it was just our particular areas or what the case was, but we've still stayed strong and remain strong on apps um, for purchase business. Yeah, I think last month, TMC Benchmark, if I remember correctly, new this was apps, new apps for the, the previous month. I think it was like 58% purchase, but it was like 42% purchase like four months earlier had slowly been trending up. So it seems like we're moving from like uh, 40%, 40-60 purchase to 60-40 purchase is mm-hmm. probably where the where the industry is is at. Have you seen any changes in your mix of Govy conventional over the course of the last few months? No, we've kind of been right at the same about 55-45 uh, conventional to Govy. Yeah, and that's what we've seen. I mean, you guys do a lot more Govy, luckily for your profit margins than most lenders, but uh, I think TMC benchmark 21, 22% Govy was up from like 18% was the lowest it dropped when uh, I think people were a little freaked out getting their loans purchased and forbearance and all that. So just kind of pushing people more to conventional, but uh, for sure. And we stayed um, even during that time, of course, it was a little bit more risk um, there, but we stayed fairly heavy government, tried to limit our overlays as much as possible on that business. And it's still strong. Good, good. So I see Ken Wells from Escoma Bank put in the chat, they never removed the fee. We would have had to change again in two weeks. Didn't want to create that confusion. I definitely have heard that from lenders. So uh, anybody else that is uh, listening in, um, you know, we had asked at the outset of the call when you're going to re-implement, if you ever took it out, uh, the 50 basis point refi fee back into your rate sheet and any expected impact from that. So I, I have seen yeah, just. I've heard a lot of people, Rich, say just with Kenneth, with Kenneth did, which is that they just never removed it in the first place. And um, I know some people kind of went back on their locks that happened in that window of time that um, we did lock with the 50 bips. We tried to just simplify it as much as possible with all the <laughs> everything else that we all have going on. Again, it's about capacity and our people's ability to can to do their job successfully. And we thought going backwards on the locks that we had during that period may not make sense. Um, you know, do it when we need to, but we did remove it um, for the few weeks that we were able to. I mean, I got to be honest with you. If I was still a lender, I you know, and because we had this, this this was part of the discussion last week. Like, do you go back on all your locks that were locked with the fee and then remove it? And yeah. I mean, you can't even imagine how many times fees are hoist upon mortgage lenders with no, right. with no notice, and the the madness and busy times. Like you said, of just trying to go back and do that. So. Yeah, to try to redisclose that number of loans, of course, case by case. You know, somebody's appraisal comes in low or something happens, and there's a 50 bit change, then it's an easy offset for us. So, you know, you just don't keep moving forward with that lock, don't make any adjustments, but to try to go back and redisclose all of those loans and remove the fee uh, when we know it's coming back anyway, here's soon enough. And we did have loans that, um, that, you know, the market did react immediately. So we both bid and all of those loans got hit with the 50 bit fee. 
now we are seeing in uh, the majority of our investors coming back and actually refunding that 50 bips. Um, but, you know, during the time that we were making the decision not to go backwards um, and adjust that 50 bips, you don't know what the market and what investors are going to do. Well, good segue to the same crappy topic of uh, fees uh, being hoisted upon mortgage lenders. Uh, but a lot of talk this past week uh, just about, um, I think it was Fannie and Freddie or Fannie or Freddie that came out and kind of made a statement. Uh, Calabria's desire to recapitalize and release the GSEs. The agencies came out and said, hey, listen, that will lead to higher guarantee fees. I, I remember back in my old secondary days where you could actually negotiate a G fee at one point down to like 17 basis points. And I don't know if anybody in the, in the listening knows, like uh, if anybody's done any kind of analysis on the implied G fee in your agency cash pricing, I've heard like mid fifties currently, maybe even a little bit higher, but the talk uh, what the agencies came out and said is it would increase guarantee fees by about 20 basis points so on all loans. So, um, Kate, I'm just curious, like you're as the CEO of an independent mortgage bank, like your whole take on the GSEs, private versus public, like yeah. what are you like cheering for at the end of the day? Well, I'm kind of neutral in, in most situations and I remain neutral on this one just because ultimately I feel like Fannie and Freddie are going to uh, be you know, majority players in the game, regardless of if they're under conservatorship or not. I don't think it necessarily opens up this big private market if they get out of conservatorship. And the trouble with me with all of it is, uh, you know, one party starts the direction that they want, but inevitably can't finish out what they're going to try to finish out before the next party comes in. And in the upcoming election, you know, of course, it's an unknown which party is going to come in. But even if Trump does come back in, I don't see that just timing as to what they have to accomplish over that period of time. I just don't see that they're going to be able to get out of conservatorship before the next go around. And then, again, you just don't know what's going to happen. And every each party has such opposite beliefs on what should happen. I'm kind of in between, again, on what should happen. I feel like government's making money off of Fannie and Freddie right now, <laughs> substantially. Um, I think $115 billion is what they made after, you know, everything was paid off. Um, the rest of them, you know, I'm not so sure <laughs> the amount of money that they are going to earn off of Fannie and Freddie, which of course has ended because they're allowing them to retain their profit to kind of hit the levels that they need to, to be capitalized correctly. So I'm just not so sure. Um, just if they'll be able to accomplish it in the long run or not. And I'm, I'm, I'm not partial to either or happening because I still think Fannie and Freddie will be major players, even if they do exit conservatorship. It's going to be interesting. And yeah, like you said, I mean, it's clearly the election is going to drive the direction, but there still may be nothing that happens. Um, right. And, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, it's think about it. You said it, it was like over a hundred billion dollars in Fannie and Freddie profit profits have been swept into the treasury coffers. That's yeah. a tough faucet to turn off. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at the, I don't look at the national polls on the election. I look at like the, like the Vegas future markets, like where you can bet on it. And it's like a coin flip right now right. Uh, on the election. I know that the national polls have Biden up, but if, you know, 
you want to actually place a wager on it, it's, it's close to a coin flip. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see, to see what happens. I, you know, my, my sense is that if Biden wins, that the agencies will stay in conservatorship for sure. Mm-hmm. If Trump wins they're I think they're, they're clearly going down the path of trying to privatize mm-hmm. the GSEs if they're going to be able to or not. We'll see, but uh, well, and I think too with the increase in the GP, like you said, I think it is inevitable because they're trying to capitalize to be able to privatize in the first place. Um, which, if we see too big of an increase, will push more loans back to FHA loans, which just will increase the government's <laughs> backing of mortgages in the first place. And again, as we all talk about, FHA has kind of become the um, the lower end loans to begin with and and more of this you know quote unquote our new subprime um to begin with so it'll be interesting to see if that does occur does it adjust um more loans back over to fha dangerous game to play like right now volume is robust mortgage lenders are making great margins um you know uh but you know think about a more normal climate you've now implemented a 50 basis point fee on all refinance transactions. Uh, if Trump is reelected, you're, you know, almost certainly going to have another 20 basis points added to all lenders guaranteed fees, which is directly reflected in the cash pricing that ultimately determines your mortgage rates. And, you know, you already talk about home affordability value shooting up right now. Um, you know, obviously all the impacts to the economy from the pandemic, like it, it just, you know, it seems easy to layer these fees on right now when times are good for mortgage lenders and for the housing economy as a whole, but uh, dangerous, dangerous game to play. For sure. For sure. And I mean, right when that 50 uh, bit fee came out, I mean, my first thought was, wow, that's a quick money grab. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, government sees what's happening. They're like, we're going to get some of, some of this. Um, so I see that continuing to escalate. Again, if Biden comes in, it's not going to escalate. I don't see anything happening before the election at this point because both sides have to, you know, the current party in control has too much to lose if they were to do more. Um, but for sure, I see more of that coming down the line um, as they can, especially with the market that we're in right now. I mean, I don't have a calculator in front of me, but, you know, most people are projecting next year, I don't know, a little under $3 trillion in mortgage volume. Roughly 50% of all loans that are originated go to the GSEs. Let's just, for argument's sake, say 40% of all those loans are refinances. Times $1,400 or 50 basis points per loan. That's an astronomical number. Yeah. So, interesting. <clears throat> Um, to make the rules and change things whenever you want. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, yeah, it's, it's an easy way to generate just like billions and billions and billions of dollars. But, uh, you know, I think the bad part is, and I didn't, um, get to fact check myself, but from memory, the funds that we generate, Fannie and Freddie generate, GPs generate, they're not earmarked towards anything. So that's the only thing I'm not a super fan of the government. They can just kind of choose whatever, nothing that may impact housing, you know, nothing that betters anything that we may be advocating for. And it just, you know, goes to whatever the latest bill is. So that's um, a great point. It's a tax on all, you know, everybody that is buying or refinancing a home that doesn't have to go through Congress. 
Right. They're able to just lop basis points on the yeah. or delivery fees. It doesn't have to get any approval from anyone yeah. in, in elected representatives of Congress. It's a great point. And your point from earlier is another great one, too, is, you know, you keep doing this. And what's going to happen is more and more volume, and especially the volume that is not the cream puff volume, is going to get moved to FHA. In theory, that's going to make that book perform worse. Yeah. Um, the government obviously is on the hook for insuring those loans and it, uh, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a, a tight rope to walk, but right now they are just lopping the fees on and yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it, it's, I don't think like Joe American, you know, they've heard about the refi fee. They have no clue, like the dollars that are involved uh, in decisions like this and how it just has no checks and balances at all. No. And what was funny was, of course, you know, MBA did a great job at, getting it reversed. And they kind of came out with just like you talked about, it's about $1,400 more per loan. Well, of course, CEOs from Fannie and Freddie come back out and they say, you know, basically try to debunk everything that MBA is advocating for. And it's, um, you know, it's just not saving the borrower as much. And it's just thinking, well, exactly. That means it's costing them $1,400 more, regardless if it means they're not saving as much, that's money out of their pockets and, um, you know, worse for the environment that we're in. Um, although, you know, it's interesting and hard for me. I read an article earlier today. I can't remember. I think it was in Housing Wire and it was called, um, uh, was it Bloom or Gloom? Boom and Gloom. And it was just the extreme opposites. And I've been talking about this for a little while, the extreme opposites that we're seeing in the housing market right now. Cause I mean, you know, we're seeing a boom. People are purchasing houses all over. Um, they need a bigger space. They need a different space for remote, remote working out of their homes. They want a second home. Um, people trying to move kind of away from cities. That's all a boom. But then you look on the flip side of renters and what's happening with investors and investment properties and renters. Those are the ones that are most affected by what's happening right now, where we're, where we're seeing kind of the complete flip side of it and the positive effects that it's having on housing. It's very true. I, you know, everything that's happened related to the economy with the pandemic, it is helping increase the divide between the haves and the have-nots. If you look at the employment statistics, typically people over 40 that have had stable jobs, the employment has been impacted so much less than you know, people between age 21 and 35, people in the service industry. Um, and then, yeah, we've seen the same thing with the housing market as well. Like, you know, sales of big homes are performing incredibly well, suburbs growth, you know, uh, but the lower end is kind of getting hit. And uh, one of one of many still to be determined is like long term impacts of uh, of the pandemic. So but we could be sitting here, honestly, a year from now, I really believe it. And looking at some issues related to home affordability and uh, the lower end of the housing market um, that, you know, issues that it already prevailed that could be made much worse by what's going on. So yeah. we got about seven or eight minutes left. Uh, I want to okay. remind everybody, any questions, comments, anybody has, keep them in the, yeah, feel free to put them in the chat or the Q and a uh, we'll voice them a lot. Anything you want to talk about. The one thing I wanted to hit on though with you, Kate is uh, just e-closings in general has been, you know, a lot of talk around that uh, as of late. Um, you know, we've seen some 
progress with remote online notarization legislation states that didn't allow it are either now you can do it or it's kind of being fast-tracked through the state legislation. Um, but it seems like, you know, the biggest remaining holdup on this really is two things. One is just the current climate. It's so freaking busy right now, like changing any processes. I've just talked to a lot of lenders like, yeah, I would love to be fully. I just can't, I can't get around to it. And the other is, um, you know, creating an e-vault or a digital wallet that an e-note can be placed into and then delivered out of. So where are you guys? I know you guys have been doing hybrids for a while. Where are you guys at currently with e-closings and what are your thoughts on this matter? Well, we're still implementing, which means <laughs> just like you said, and unfortunately, like I've said 10 times during this conversation about capacity, we just don't have the capacity to concentrate on it. So it's just one of those things that sitting there taking forever um, to finish rolling out. Um, to me, so of course I read the article, I'm sure just like most people did, that said the lenders are the reason that this, this remote online organization is not finished out yet. And I think that's a bunch of BS. Um, the e-vault was probably the easiest thing that we kind of encountered throughout the process. Our, you know, Most of our warehouse providers have the e-vault ready. Um, so I, I don't see that and I didn't see that as being the holdup at all. Of course, you know, way back, it was more across the lines of all investors taking it. Um, and then of course, always the issue of the states and the different requirements in each state and that the states is to me, the states are still the biggest holdup because of course, investors have all kind of gotten there at this point, uh, warehouse banks are ready, evolves are ready, uh, MERS is there. So it's kind of, it's all lining up, but um, state specific rules are still um, not not able to do a, a full run closing. Yeah, it, uh, it I, most, I mean, really at this point, right, the main secondary market aggregators and the warehouse lenders, they're pretty much all on board with it, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think I read the same column as you that kind of mentioned that. Maybe. The, the lenders. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Which I was uh, agitated about. I didn't, I don't see that as being the case at all. So I wasn't sure what um, the specific direction or, or motive was behind the article, but um, I still see it as being a state specific issue. It's me. I remember, God, I've been with TMC now for five and a half, almost six years. I, like my, my first took this job, I remember like, oh my God, e-closings full. They're like coming like, like 2017 is the year. I don't know, wait, wait, 2018 is the year. Uh, here we are going in 2021 and still not quite there for, well, for I, different yeah. reasons, but still not there. Yeah, I spoke to a title attorney, you know, and it, I think it's very specific too as to like kind of what title attorneys have control over in the states. Um, I spoke to one, it's probably been, it's definitely been a few months at this point, but just kind of at the early stages of the pandemic, talking to them about, hey, you know, this would be a great time to have Ron available. And, you know, the title of that specific attorney went into detail about why they think it's bad for them, which of course it's, you know, about the business and did they lose the business and how do they maintain it? or more so the quickens and whatnot of the world that'll just start utilizing, you know, some preferred person and not, uh, and not be able to localize it um, here, you know, in the areas that the loans are happening or the purchases are happening. So I think it has a lot to do with too, the, the title attorneys and they're kind of backing in the state as to how quickly that'll roll through. 
One other topic I wanted to pick your brain on, because you, like a lot of our IMB CEOs, had a, a career coming up in the production side of the business and um, just the whole real estate side of, of the residential lending industry, the real estate brokerages. Um, it seems as if like, you know, virtual showings and just in general, what are your thoughts on like the human realtor and, you know, um, what, you know, if you, if you could fast forward five years from now to what, you know, Berkshire Hathaway or Keller Williams or, or Remax real estate infrastructure like, uh, what direction do you think that's going? Yeah. Um, it's funny because my I think my opinion changes on that a good bit depending on what's happening. And at first with the pandemic, um, I thought for sure that's the direction that we're moving, more virtual, um, potentially some sort of modified because I've been saying there's got to be some sort of modification to the real estate agent, the commissions that the real estate agent makes and kind of their role in the transaction. But when you continue to see like iBuyers and, and kind of the stuff that's trying to come into the market and disrupt the market back out when things go wrong. Uh, that's when you know that that kind of role is not really going to change. And although I think they have adapted very quickly to being able to do more things remotely, so kind of do virtual showings and, and adjust their business model, just like we adjusted our business model to go with what's happening in the world right now. Um, I think that their general role in the transaction is going to look pretty much the same for a good while now. What about the commission side? I mean, just me, like in the common sense part of me, you know, like $300,000 home with how much of the home searching and buying process is now done online. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense on a $300,000 home to pay $20,000 in commissions to realtors on both sides of the transaction? Maybe what the future of that looks like. (laughs) I mean, to me, it seems crazy, right? But I guess uh, NAR really has... Uh, does a good job for them <laughs> because I just, I don't know. I don't see, it's not talked about, um, you know, things will come out here and there, but it, it's just like, you know, when Amazon says they're coming into mortgage and all of us get a little bit on our toes for a minute and then we realize nothing, <laughs> but everything's going to be okay. It's kind of business as usual. I, I don't know um, that that model is going to change, but I completely agree to me. It's uh, extensive for the amount that, of commission that's on both sides versus what the person can kind of do on their own these days, but it's not yeah, focused on for some reason. Yeah. And you, you're, I think you're right. You give the credit to national association of realtors that has done a really, really great job representing that industry, not just through policies like that, that are protecting their realtors, but uh, um, just branding realtors in general, like, you know um, you know, the way they brand the human realtor and TV commercials. And to me, it's effective, you know, how they're doing it. And um, again, same thing, just like we were talking five years about e-closings. I was sitting here five years ago saying like the human realtor is going to be completely diminished five right. years from now. And <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so no. oh, too funny. Oh. Well, we've reached the bottom of the hour. We like to keep these to 30 minutes to be respectful of people's time, but great conversation, a lot of great topics. Kate, always enjoy talking about the industry with you. And uh, thank you for joining me again this week. All right, Rich. Bye everybody. Awesome. Yes. And to all our attendees, thank you for uh, taking some time out with us this week. Every week, same place, same time, two o'clock Eastern uh, on Tuesday. So thanks and have a great afternoon, everyone. Take care. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.